Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 126 of the Box Hard Podcast. If we were a weight class, we'd be at the featherweight division, it seems, 126. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's roll straight into the review in this week. Um, we're going to start... We're going to start over in the Grand Casino in Hinkley, Minnesota. One fight to mention over here, uh, World Boxing Super Series fans will be familiar with Rob Brandt, the guy that uh, bowed out of the tournament when he took on Jürgen Bremer. Well, he returned to the ring here. I think he's already had one fight since that loss, but it was a KO in the very first round against a guy called Colby Coulter, who was 12-11, and 11, now 12-12. and 12. Um, a first round knockout there for Rob Brandt. He's now 23 and 1. Moving over now to the Parks Casino in Pennsylvania, USA. One fight to mention over here. John Joe Nevin moved to double figure wins. He's now 10 and 0. It was a unanimous decision over eight rounds against the previously undefeated Alex Rin, who's now 6 and 1. He was 6 and 0 going in. Um, moving over now to the Deadwood Mountain Grand in Deadwood, South Dakota, USA. Really strange venue, as we've said. Um, you know, to host a boxing event. But what I will mention, just a quick mention here to Junior Farr, who was on the undercard. He moved to 14-0 and with a majority decision against Craig Lewis, who was 14-1 and with one draw. So, yeah, quite impressive from Junior Farr. Maybe not so impressive, though, on one of the judges' scorecards, who gave it a draw, and the other two judges ruled against that. So a majority decision win for Junior Farr. Junior Farr's actually a guy that beat Joseph Parker twice in the amateurs. So um, that's a little note there. And uh, also, I should mention as well, I was about to miss this one, Ivan Baranchik, 17-0, took on Petr Petrov, who is a former opponent of Terry Flanagan, a man that took Terry Flanagan the distance in a not-so-impressive victory, yeah, obviously for Terry Flanagan, but yeah, Petrov found himself on the canvas in rounds 1, 2, and 6 here, and he was ultimately TKO'd in round 8. Very impressive performance, I suppose, from Baron Cheek. I mean, you know, aside from the knockdowns, it was quite competitive, but, you know, obviously that doesn't really amount to much in the grand scheme of things, but a good win there for Baron Cheek. He looks quite a heavy-handed fighter, him. And the main event on this one, Regis Progre, 20-0, and took on the former unified uh, world champion, Julius Indongo, 22-1. and Obviously, you know, a lot of people were saying that Progre would, uh, you know, would win quite easily, and... I mean, he did in the fight, but, um, you know, going into the fight before it actually started, I thought it was going to be quite a close-ish fight. I know that Indongo's so, so, you know, so, so tall at the weight, much taller. He was a tower over Regis Progre when you saw them together. And, um, you know, Indongo, aside from losing to Terence Crawford, he's looked really good. I mean, the way he won the belt against Troyanovsky and when he came over to uh, to the UK and fought Ricky Burns. He absolutely played with Ricky Burns over 12 rounds. So, you know, he seems like a really good fighter in Dongo. Well, he took on Regis Progre. It was a real 
kind of first big, big, big test for Pro Grey, and it was for the interim WBC World Super Lightweight title. Now, Pro Grey went in there, and I spoke to him before the fight. I mean, we just spoke over text, and he said to me, because I know that he really wanted to beat Victor Postel, who he was supposed to be fighting in the first place. He wanted to beat him. You know, he wanted to knock him out. He wanted to knock him out because Crawford couldn't do that. You know, when the fight fell through and he chose Indongo, which was very brave of him and Ludabella, um, he did say to me, admittedly, Crawford got rid of Indongo in three rounds. That's going to be very, very hard to compete with. I don't know if I'm going to get him out of there before three rounds. Boy, oh boy, did he lie. (laughs) It was a second round TKO for Regis Progre, and Dongo was down in the first round and three times in that second round. The first knockdown, by the way, it was actually, it seemed like a jab that that hurt um, Indongo right at the end of the round. And then, like I say, three knockdowns in that second round, all from big left power punches from that southpaw stance of Regis Progres. He absolutely blitzed the former unified world champion in quicker time than Crawford did. And the size difference, like I say, it was absolutely huge, but it seemed to not really make any odds. I think um, Indongo just couldn't find his range, couldn't really get the distance right. But what a statement that is in the 140 division there. Progre and Crawford have got two common opponents now and Progre's done a better job than Crawford did on both of them so it seems like this kid really is the real deal um you know I say a kid people forget he's also 29 so you know he hasn't really got time on his side but at this rate if he carries on going like he's been going on then he will become such a brilliant fighter I believe he's certainly one of the most exciting fighters in America in terms of the prospects if you want to still call him that if he still qualifies as a prospect but yeah hopefully he can become a a household name soon because like I say time's not really on his side but what a fighter and I tell you what he's got a serious set of balls on him as well he really has to take a dangerous dangerous fight like that on late notice was unbelievable he's now 21 and 0 with 18 knockouts and also I as um, you predicted on that one you said that you thought Indongo would win on points if I'm not mistaken let me just check that um Yes, you went with Indongo on points. I went with Progre by knockout. So did the listeners. So we both gained a point there. Unlucky for you, Ayers. Moving over now to the Stura Arena in Denmark. One fight to mention over here. A bit of an upset. Well, a big upset, to be honest. Dennis Shellan. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's his first fight after losing his O to Josh Warrington. He got in there with a guy called Jesus Sanchez, who was 8-1. and one, And he got knocked out in the second round, Dennis Shellan. So he's now 18-2. and two. With two draws. Unbelievable. That's a huge, huge upset there in Denmark. I think it was a little bit of a homecoming for Shellan. I think he just wanted to kind of go back in there and, um, you know, get a nice win in front of his hometown fans. But it wasn't to be. Moving over now to Germany, where another good fight was on this bill here. The brother of Kubrat Pulev. His name is Tavel Pulev. He was 8-0 with eight knockouts going in. He took on the crafty veteran. I'm not too sure if he's very crafty, but certainly the veteran, certainly a tough guy, Valerie Brudov, who seems like he's kind of well over the hill now. He's he's had a few losses in a row, but he took on Tervel Pulev and he actually managed to take Pulev the distance for the first time in Pulev's career, but Pulev won a unanimous decision over eight rounds. So, um, some valuable rounds there, and I also quite like that matchmaking for just his ninth fight. So, he's now 9-0, Tervel Pulev. 
Uh, he's a cruiserweight, by the way. And moving over to another part of Germany now, another upset on this bill. It seems to be crazy this past weekend. A few upsets here and there. Kevin Johnson, we all know him, the heavyweight madman, 32-8 and with one draw going in. This one was for the IBO International Heavyweight title. He took on the relatively unknown Peter Milas, who was 10-0. and and I said on last week's show that, you know, he could be, this guy is 10 and 0, he could be a really good fighter with a really big amateur career, but I couldn't see nothing on him, so maybe not. But yeah, he was 10 and 0, and he got in there and actually TKO'd Kevin Johnson in round 8 of a scheduled 10 round contest. So a bit of a statement there for Peter Milas, unbelievable. So Kevin Johnson, it's a shame, but the kingpin goes down again. Moving over now to another part of Germany, Jack Kalkai, former world champion, 22 and 3. He took on our very own Craig Cunningham, the guy that, uh, the guy that stopped um, Anthony Agogo in in Agogo's only loss. Um, it was it was quite a good piece of matchmaking this one, I think, because I I really like uh, Craig Cunningham. I think he's very underrated. He doesn't really have the big name profile, but he's actually much better than you know people give him credit for. He went into this bout with a record of 19 and two, but Jack Kalkai managed to grind out. Well, I say grind out a relatively easy eight round points decision unanimously for Jack Kalkai. So, you know, it's, it's about it's about levels, I suppose, boxing is, and, you know, he's on that kind of, I don't want to say world level, because Kalkai is not the greatest fighter, but he's up there, and Cunningham really needs to come back to the UK, and I think maybe have a go at the British or something like that. Very underrated fighter. I'd like to see him given a chance with one of the big promoters in the UK. Um, all the very best to Craig Cunningham. He's now 19-3. and three. Jack Kalkai now 23-3. and three. Uh, Moving over now to to the United Kingdom. One fight to mention on this bill here at the Rainton Meadows Arena in Tyenham Ware, United Kingdom. Thomas Patrick Ward, 22-0. It wasn't a defense of his British title, but he got in there against Lesfa Cantilano, who was 3-12 going in. It was a TKO in round five. It was only a six-rounder here for Thomas Patrick Ward. Again, he's now 23-0. He's only young as well. Very good fighter. And once again, he's not really with a big promoter at the moment no disrespect to his promoter I'm not quite sure who it is but he's certainly a good fighter but I'd like to see him step it up a little bit as well moving over now stateside to the StubHub Center in Carson California USA a couple fights to mention on the undercard first. Andy Ruiz Jr. picked up win number 30. He's now 30-1. and one. It was a KO in the very first round against Devin Vargas, who's now 20-5. and five. Vargas was down and counted out. Uh, also on this bill, uh, what do we have? Alex Salcedo moved to 27-0 with a KO in round 7 against Abner Lopez. Um... What else? What else? What else? Arnold Barboza Jr., 17 and 0, took on Mike Reed, 23 and 1. Now, I've got to give Mike Reed a lot of credit for taking this fight because Mike Reed lost his O last time out against Jose Ramirez, who's going to be fighting this weekend for the WBC 140 full title. So, um, you know, it seemed like quite a big kind of fight, really, when you're coming off of a loss. So, I give a lot of credit to Mike Reed, 
But the fight itself, I mean, Arnold Barboza Jr. He came out in the first few rounds really establishing his jab and just his boxing skills in general. And I think he picked up the first few rounds. And then it just seemed like, before you know it, um, Mike Reed was kind of like fighting an uphill battle, if you like, for the rest of the fight. And it was quite a relatively comfortable win for Arnold Barboza Jr. So I think he's kind of announced himself a little bit as quite a good fighter because Mike Reed is probably the... Probably the biggest name on his resume, you'd have to say. So he's now 18-0, and he's certainly a fighter I'm looking forward to. And back to the drawing board, unfortunately, for Mike Reed. Also on this bill, Andy Ventes, 20-0, took on Eric DeLeon. Both men were undefeated going in. We did say somebody's O must go, but it wasn't to be. It was a majority draw over 10 rounds there. Ventes was cut under the right eye from a legal punch in round six. It was also for the vacant WBO International Super Featherweight title, and also the WBC Continental America's Super Featherweight title. I think that belt maybe belonged to Andy Vences. He may still have that belt. And the main event here, a brilliant, brilliant fight. Oscar Valdez put his WBO World Featherweight title on the line and his record, of course, 23-0. He took on our very own Scott Quigg, 34-1 with two draws. What a fight, by the way, Az. I know that you watched this fight also. What did you make of it? Very brave effort from Quigg, by the way. A very brave performance by Scott Quick. Um, obviously, we heard that um, Eddie Hearn said in the interview that he had a was a foot injury, and because of that, he didn't make weight. And also, when Oscar Valdez advised that to have him to have a, a weigh in in the morning, a check weight, he didn't obviously do that. O- obviously, in fight during the fight now, Scott Quick was heavier. But I give Scott Quick uh, credit, obviously, first of all, for being injured and training at the same time. We saw him have a broken nose, and his corner even told him to pull out the fight, and he didn't want to pull out. But fair play to Scott Quigg. I hope I hope he comes back stronger. But what a, what a performance by him and uh, what a great fight he had with Valdez. And Valdez, we obviously saw him have a broken jaw. But let's see what happens to Scott King now. Let's see who, who he fights next. I'd like to see him have another fight and then go for a world title shot afterwards again. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd actually like to see him perhaps take on the loser of Warrington and Selby. I think that would be a good fight back for him. Um some people would say that's a step down, but it's really not because he's obviously lost the world title fight and the loser of Selby and Warrington would have just lost the world title fight as well. So I think that um, I'd like to quite see that. I think Scott Quigg versus Josh Warrington would be a good fight. But anyway, the fight itself, it was quite a surprising game plan for me from Quigg. I think straight away he was on the front foot and he was exchanging very early with Valdez. I mean, that quite surprised me. I think Valdez also was measuring his distance almost immediately Immediately, um, you know, he was picking Quig off at points in the early rounds and throughout the fight, to be honest. But you know, when the guys did exchange, Valdez definitely had the clear edge in power. He also had the clear edge in speed, and I think that Valdez's head movement impressed me as well. We haven't really seen too much of that if you look at his last few fights. But I think Quig, you know, Quig definitely came and put the pressure on Valdez and. Um, Sticking on the front foot and, and, and pushing Valdez back a lot seemed to be making Valdez a little bit uncomfortable at times. I don't really think he's had a fighter pushing back like that. Um, and he was also made to fight for every second of the fight, Valdez. So it was a really high-paced fight. And I think it was just a, a bit of a war, to be honest. I mean, in the fifth round, Quig seemed to rock 
um, Valdez with a big right hand. And the first thing I noticed was that it looked like a big fat guy stood up in the front row. And it, it actually, on closer inspection, was Eddie Herm wearing a massively oversized white rain cover. But um, yeah, Valdez, you know, he, he does what he does when he gets caught. He fights fire with fire. He's a bit of a madman. And that was also the same round where Scott Quigg's eye was bleeding quite badly in that fifth. But yeah, Quigg, you know, he's got one of the best cutsmen in the business in his corner. I noticed that Mick Williamson was there, a man that's regularly in the corner of uh, Joe Gallagher's fighters. But both men, what I will say, both men were ripping to the body, particularly Valdez. Scott Quigg also, he's got that, you know, he's got that great poker face. He never really seemed phased by anything Valdez landed, even though his face... You know, looking at his face, it said a lot different. Um, Matthew Macklin on the commentary picked up on the broken nose. I think it was in the ninth round he pointed that out. But I tell you what, Quigg's definitely got some balls. You know, it was a proper dogfight. Both men were busted up, like you say there, Ayers. Um, You know, Valdez had to fight on with a broken jaw. I think that... Um, Valdez was really sort of feeling the pace and in hindsight it does seem like a little bit of a crazy voluntary defense of a title because it was one of those fights that can take time off your fighting career I felt and Oscar did also tell me that you know when he'd previously sparred Scott Quigg it was it was very much toe-to-toe and I didn't think he was telling the truth but he obviously was because it was a toe-to-toe fight it really was but yeah Quigg was you know he was swinging right until the end you got to give him credit it was one of those fights that it looks exhausting just watching the fight. And Quigg did catch Valdez with a huge left hook that troubled him in the 11th also, I should mention. And also Scott landed a big low blow in that 11th as well, which floored Valdez. And he, he took a bit of time out recovering from that. It obviously wasn't ruled as a knockdown. But I didn't really score the fight, but it was clearly a wide points win for Valdez, um, which is what I predicted last week when we did the predictions but there was no knockdowns and I know that um, many of many of Valdez's fights and his previous fights there's been many knockdowns he's been down himself and so's his opponent so you know Scott Quigg certainly showed some toughness to to go the distance and so did Valdez but yeah like I say the prediction league was casted out here I went with Valdez to win on points you also went with Valdez to win on points Ayaz but the listeners got it wrong here they went with Scott Quigg to win on points so very unlucky to them um but yeah making the weight I mean it was a little bit unprofessional I was quite upset with Scott Quigg um you know there's there's reasons for it and all that stuff but you know, it's not really good enough. He should have came in on weight. I don't think he meant to do it. There's no way I believe he meant to do it. I think it was definitely an accident. Um, you know, he needs a title to become relevant, Scott Quigg. Now he's moved up to featherweight, and he's only been there, I think, for about four fights, and he's already failed the weight. You know, what happens next? Is he going to move up to super feather? I think he'd, you know, he'd not be good enough there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what he does. I think he's in a bit of a stalemate, to be honest, unless he comes back to Britain and fights someone over here, like I say, maybe the loser of Warrington and Selby. But other than that, I mean, he showed his grit, and he's a very tough guy, a very game guy, but um, he kind of shot himself in the foot going into that fight, and, you know, Valdez shot him all over his body in the fight itself. So he's definitely got to take a bit of time out there, Scott Quigg. Very brave and valiant effort, though. And moving over now to the... Freeman Coliseum. This is the final bill to mention from last weekend. This one was in San Antonio, Texas, USA. Couple fights to mention on this one. 
Um, Brandon Figueroa, that's the brother of Omar Figueroa. He moved to 15-0 and with a TKO in round 7 against Giovanni Delgado. Um, he's now 16-7, and by the way. Mario Barrios moved to 21-0. and He stopped... Udi Bernardo, who was 23-2 and in the second round. It was a TKO. Brilliant, brilliant fight finishing punch, this one, by the way. It was unbelievable. Mario Barrios, it was also good to see him on the UK TV. They showed his fight, which was really good. I think it's the first time um, he's been on show in the UK, and even maybe in America. I know he hasn't been getting too much TV time, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, he finished his opponent with a very quick, piercing right hand straight through the guard, and his opponent got up, but his leg were all over the place and the referee rightly waved it off so a brilliant brilliant win for him also on this bill Richard Comey moved to 26 and 2 from my understanding it was a bit of an upset he took on the previously undefeated Alejandro Luna who was 22 and 0 Luna was down twice in round 6 and that was the final round for him a brilliant and explosive win there for Richard Comey also on this bill Rancis Barthelemy 26 and 0 a rematch against Kirill Relic 21 and 2 um, last time out, Barthelemy got the win. It was a little bit controversial. It was a little bit close, but this time it was a fair, unanimous decision win in favour of Kirill Relic. He's the new WBA World Super Lightweight Champion. One point was deducted from Barthelemy in the seventh round also for a low blow. Um, this fight actually clashed with the Vences and De Leon fight, so I watched most of this one instead, thinking it was going to probably be a good fight like the first one, where both men were down, and there was a lot of drama involved, but it was a very bad choice, because the fight was terrible. I think that Barthelemy just didn't come to fight, he didn't come to win, I don't know what was really wrong with him, it was very much one-way traffic, but I give Relic a lot of credit, you know, because people think that he deserved, and a lot of people think that he deserved the decision against Ricky Burns, but he didn't get it. Many people also believe he won the first fight against Barthelemy, in which, like I say, both men were down. It was a very good drama-filled fight, but he didn't get that decision also. And this time, no controversy, no closeness, no bad judges' scorecards. He got a wide and deserved points win, so he's the new champion of the world. And the main event here, Sergei Lipinets, I believe it said, 13-0. and He was on our show last week. He put his IBF World Super Lightweight title on the line against Mikey Garcia, 37-0. and Lipinets was down in round seven also, but talking about the fight itself, boy, oh boy, Mikey Garcia... He was able to find Lipinets with the straight one-two multiple times in the fight. He was able to land big shots that would normally take people out. I think that Lipinets certainly showed us some incredible toughness. Um, that also paired with the fact that Mikey just moved up in weight, I suppose, and he perhaps hadn't brought all of his power with him. But yeah, Mikey was handed a blooded nose early on in the fight as well, which was quite surprising. I think that was with a jab. Lipinets was the much bigger man, you know, in stature. He, he, he was certainly the bigger man. He was much bigger than Mikey in there, naturally. He also had a bit of power himself, I believe, in my eyes. Um, he didn't let the occasion get to him, and he definitely didn't show Mikey Garcia too much respect. That was something I feared. He might be overwhelmed by the occasion. He certainly wasn't. But when Mikey lets his hands go, and when he throws those five or six punch combinations, he just looks so brilliant. He just looks so special. He really does the fundamentals down to a T. And he almost has got too much variety in his shots, because he's, he's just a full package, Mikey Garcia. I don't want to sound like I'm loving him too much, but you know, as most people know, he can do crazy stuff. Like, he'll throw a three punch combination all with one hand. <laughs> It'll be something like a left jab, followed by a left hook, and then a left uppercut. He's just so skillful but 
what did actually stand out to me, and I don't know if many people picked up on this, but Mikey Garcia was wearing these white Everlast boxing gloves with his own signature on them. They're like, I think they're called Everlast Mikeys, which I thought was quite impressive. Um, but yeah, in the seventh round, like I say, Mikey Garcia put Lipanets down. Um, just as I was about to say, Mikey Garcia shouldn't really be trading with Lipanets because Lipanets was starting to get through with some of his shots. Bang! Garcia unleashed a short left hook and Lipanets went down. And the 12th round was another brilliant, brilliant round of a great way to shut out a really good fight. And in my opinion, Mikey Garcia in every round seemed to land the better shots. I wasn't really scoring it, but I felt that Mikey Garcia had almost pitched a shutout, to be honest. I was surprised to hear the American commentary team, or one of them at least, saying that he had it very close in, I think it was like the 10th round, he had it like, neck and neck I didn't agree with that at all but yeah the the uh, the right man won I think and a brilliant brilliant win for Mikey Garcia he joins an elite list of names who have become four weight world champions he's now 38 and oh he's got one of the longest undefeated streaks in boxing now and he's just a phenomenal fighter but yeah I'm not quite sure what he does next eyes because obviously we're going to talk about it in the news part a little bit more but um, you know the two guys that he was linked with I don't have to say their names, but they're now fighting each other, so I'm not quite sure what he does from here. I don't know if he goes back down to 135. He has also got a title at 135. He's got the WBC title. They let him keep that title while he moved up to 140 and fought for the IBF, so he's actually got a belt at two weights, so he can kind of do what he wants, really. But um, I'd like to see him back down at lightweight, and I don't know what he does there. Um um, what what do you want him to do? Is it is it a unification with Robert Easter Jr.? Does he stick at 140 and try and maybe take on the guy that was on the undercard, Kirill Relic, and try and unify there? What would uh, you do? Would he go up to 147? Is that too much for him? What's your thoughts? Obviously, we're going to talk about it in the news part, right? Obviously, we can't say then we can't say it here now. But obviously, on the news we part, we can, we can. Okay, so Linares versus Vasil Lomachenko has been announced for May the 12th. Now, I want the winner between that fight to fight Mikey Garcia. And then for, for the winner, if Garcia wins, I want him to move up to 147. Well, you say that, Ayers, but then if he if he fights the winner of, um, of, of Lomachenko and Linares, that fight's happening at lightweight. So he'd go back down to lightweight to fight the winner of that. And then for him to then move up two weight classes from there, that would probably be suicidal, you know? So... I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I mean, if I was him, I'd probably go down and unify with Robert Easter. Or, like you say, I mean, May's not that far away from, from us now, or, to be honest. It seems like it's a long way away, but it's really not. So maybe he could just sit out kind of thing and watch, you know, kind of kick back and sort or, of watch what they're doing. Or there is another one. Um, uh, if sure, if uh, if, if Fla- Terry Flanagan beats Marius Hooker, I want to see Flanagan versus Mikey Garcia. Yeah, that's a fight I know Mikey Garcia told me that he wanted quite a while ago now. He said he'd come over to the UK for that. Um, but yeah, the the fight here, like I say, I will just read out the scorecards, um, Mikey Garcia and Lipinets. Um One judge had the fight, or two judges had the fight, 117 to 110, and the other judge, 116, 111. I think the 117, 110 kind of seemed quite right, especially as Lipinets was down in round seven, so obviously it was a 10-8 round. But yeah, that's it for the reviewing. It's now time, just before we wrap up part one, to welcome our very first guest. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man with the longest undefeated record of any other active British boxer. He's, of course, the former WBO lightweight champion of the world, Mr. Terry Flanagan. Terry, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm good. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Terry. It's my pleasure. I'm all good, my friend. So, Terry, I know that you've got a big fight coming up, but if you don't mind, I'd like to just invite you into my virtual time machine just to go back to the 11th of July 2015, a fight in which you obviously captured the lightweight WBO world title against Jose Zabida. Now, I remember that fight um, obviously ended after just two rounds when Zapita couldn't continue after dislocating his shoulder. It was a little bit of a bizarre way to win a world title. It wouldn't have been the way you wanted to win it. And in your next fight, I remember when you took on Diego Magdaleno, who I suppose was a slightly more known name to the UK fans, you got in there... And it almost looked to me like you wanted to show everybody that you were a worthy world champion, that you wanted to prove how good you were. And you absolutely battered Diego Magdaleno that night in what I think was probably the best performance of your career. Do you agree with me on that, Terry? Am I right about all what I've said there? Looking back now, what do you yeah, remember from that I, fight? I agree totally. I remember winning the world title and everyone was saying like it wasn't a legitimate legitimate winner should he should have been a no contest this and that. It was close from a punch. I knew uh first round was close, second round before the injury I started to time his job and I was getting the I, I knew he was gonna start taking over in the fight. Shame that happened to his shoulder and I won it that way but so be it. And then after that one he had to uh he had to go and prove a point and against Magdaleno like he said and prove that I was a worthy world champion, and I think I did that. Yeah, you certainly did. I remember watching that fight at the time, just absolutely shocked, really, the way you absolutely just walked through him. I mean, you completely beat him down, to be honest. But, yeah, you you successfully defended your title five times, obviously, before moving up to super lightweight for your next fight. And in your next fight, it will happen on April 14th at London's O2 Arena. I know that you've boxed before close to London early on. I think it may have been your 10th fight you boxed at the Brentwood Centre. But to actually be fighting in arguably the best inside venue in London. You must be quite excited to do that, Terry. Yeah, I've never boxed there, but I've never even been to a boxing event there, so I don't really know what it's like, but what I'm hearing, it's uh, one of the best venues to box at, and it's a uh, good atmosphere, good show, and yeah, I'm happy to be on it. And the man in the other corner is Maurice Hooker. Um, he's an unbeaten fighter out of Dallas, Texas. The most recognisable name on his resume, I suppose, is probably Dalis Perez, who he drew with. We know him quite well, obviously, for his fights with Crawler. But aside from that, he's fought a decent bunch of fighters, and he seems to be quite... Well, he seemed to be quite a good amateur as well coming through. A lot of people, from what I've seen, are saying that you will be able to beat him relatively easily. But this looks to be quite a harder fight than I think some people realise, especially as you're moving up in weight and he's a natural 140 fighter. Do you agree with that, Terry? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a tough fight. I always see my next fight as the toughest fight. So, yeah, moving up as well, that, that could play a part. But I think it's only going to benefit me by... Boxing at 140, I mean, I feel great. I'm looking bigger, stronger, feeling better. Uh, obviously, he's a big 140, so he's going to struggle to make it weight. That could play a part in coming over here. There's a lot of uh, 
positives and negatives to the fight, but yeah, when the fight when the fight got offered, I had a look at him and I thought, yeah, it's a winnable fight. It's a fight I'm confident of winning. And uh, I said, yeah, let, let's make it. Let's try and become two weight world champion. And yeah, he's tall, awkward range, but yeah, looking at him, I feel like I've got the style to beat him. And do you know much about him as a fighter? And also, how long have you actually known about this guy? I know that a lot of the kind of casual boxing fans, if you like, are only just kind of getting to hear about this guy. How long have you known about him? And what do you know about him as a fighter, Terry? I've not really knew about him that long. Just when they when when were talking and moving up, I looked through the rankings and see who, who could pick out this and that. But yeah, he was number one. Number one I moved up so I got put in that spot it was one versus two I'm number one he's number two for the vacant title and yeah he had a look at him since then but uh, yeah as a fighter I've watched a few of his fights now he's a good fighter he can punch his range is awkward yeah that's what I know of him but yeah like I say I'm confident of beating him I reckon I reckon me at 100% beats him at 100% so I'm confident and I've seen your promoter, Frank Warren, mention a few times about a potential fight between yourself and Jack Catterall sometime down the line. Um, no disrespect to Catterall, but I, I kind of see you as, um, you know, a few levels up from him at the moment. I see it as a little bit of a backward step for you. Do you share that opinion, or is it not a backward step, Terry? Yeah, of course. I mean, I've been there, done that at that level. I think the likes of them fighters need to improve themselves now and uh, not just getting easy shots at world titles. So, yeah, like I say, if I come through this fight, I'm confident of doing I, I'm looking to the backs of Michael Garcia, uh, the Russian kid who just won a world title since the WBA. So, yeah, I want, un- I want unification fights, and that's what I'll be looking to do. I won't be looking at British level fighters. I see them as British title fights, not world title fights. And you mentioned Mikey Garcia there. Did you manage to capture his fight on the weekend against Lippinets? Uh, Mikey's also been on this show um, before. He's actually told me before he'd love to come to the UK to fight you. I think he probably said that to me about a year ago or something. So, yeah, did you see his fight? And, um, yeah, is that a fight that you'd like? I know you kind of just said that you would like it, but it'd be brilliant. I'd love to see that. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's a great fighter. He's good. He's, uh, he's probably going down as one of the all-time great Mexican Americans, but yeah, I'm, uh, Mike is linked with everyone who throws his name in the act to fight. Anyone is so saying it, it's actually doing it. I mean, sure, he would have to fight for a unification fight, but yeah, like I say, I've seen him linked with Cottawa at one point. Anyone who's uh, a bit of a name, he just says, yeah, I'll fight him, but it's easy, easier said than done. But I'll, uh, like I say, that's a fight I'll be looking for Frank to make. If it come through the soccer fight. And did you watch his fight on the weekend at all, Terry? Yeah, yeah, I watched it. Yeah, he, was, he boxed well. Yeah, good, good boxing display from him. And David yeah, was more composed and looked the, the, uh, the better in the exchanges. So, yeah, he was good. And two fighters that you were heavily linked with are now facing each other. Uh, May the 12th, Jorge Linares versus Vasyl Lomachenko, a man that you, you've thrown your name in the hat for to fight him as well. Who do you believe wins that one, Terry? Obviously, it's going to be at 1-3-5. I think uh, 
Coming down to the last couple of questions now, Terry. Um, another man that's you know he's 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 kind of on just probably just going past domestic scene, I suppose you could say at one forty at the moment. Josh Taylor, everybody's very high on him. Have you got an opinion on him? Yeah, he, he also looks another good fighter. Uh, what I've seen of him, but yeah, but, but if he was to go and win a world title, I'd be another great unification fight, but. Like I say, at the minute, I'm not looking to fighters. I'm looking for to win this world title, which was always the plan anyway, to move up and win a world title and then unify like a, I should have done at lightweight, but it just never happened. I mean, I was calling for them unification fights from when I won the world title. I ended up defending it five times and not, not getting that big fight I, I feel I deserve. So hopefully I'll, I'll win this at 10 stone and then, I'll get the fight to deserve up there. And also, Terry, I hate to bring it up, but um, we all would have loved to have seen you take on Anthony Crawler when you both had world titles at the time. It seems like he's almost got one foot out the door a little bit now, to be honest, and I think he may even be at 140. I'm not quite sure where he is in terms of weight, but has that ship sailed now? Has that great fight probably escaped us? I think so. I mean, he was talking about a, a, a boxing series at lightweight, if there was if there was one of them and there was there was chance he could go in it, I'd jump at it. And if he was in there, then who knows? But yeah, I think other than that, I think the uh, that boat sailed. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And the final question for you now, Terry. I know that you're not a brash guy. I know that you're not a flashy guy, anything like that. I know that you you're very much a hard worker, very much a man that's got his head focused on the game. But how do you see yourself win winning come April fourteenth? How do you see your arm being raised? Is it a stoppage? Is it a knockout? Do you not know yet? I just feel like it depends which way the fight will go. I mean, I feel like if he forces it and tries tries to put pressure on like he said he's going to do I see it being a, a knockout but I think if he goes on the back foot which I think he probably will I'll be a, a points win but uh, yeah I feel like I can win the fight both either way whether I outbox him or whether I put it on him and try and take him out I feel like I can beat him both ways but yeah we'll see on the night which way the fight pans out but yeah, like I say, I'm very confident of winning the fight. And just but I'm not too sure which way it'll be. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly hope so. And just I before think I... Dep- I think it, I think it depends on him which which game plan he brings to what way the fight's going to go. But I'll beat him both ways, whichever way he wants to bring it. Whether he wants to come and have a fight or whether he wants a giant box off, I think I'll beat him both ways. I certainly hope so. I'm sure the rest of the listeners do also. And just before I let you go, I just feel that it's right to give your trainer, Steve Maylett, a bit of a honourable mention, to be honest. I feel like he's he's probably one of the most underrated trainers in the UK, to be honest. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, anyone who has come and watched Steve in the gym, how he works with me and how he works with the other lads, I'd rate him up there with the best, but he's not one for social media like myself where he won't put himself out there but yeah in my eyes he's by far the best coach in Britain and if not the world and uh, we just we just work together with Clint and uh, 
yeah, he's not. He won't just. He won't just train anyone. Like even if people wanted to come to the gym, it won't matter whether it was ex amateur world champions, this, this or that. If if he don't feel like he's getting hundred percent out of them, he won't bother. Yeah. He is, uh, in my eyes anyway, like you say, he's not. He, he's very much a humble man, but he, I don't feel like he gets the credit sometimes. He, he does a lot of hard work behind the scenes. But listen, Terry, thank you for your time. Best of luck for April 14th, and God willing, next time we speak, I'll be speaking to the new undefeated two-weight world champion. Yeah, hopefully, mate, hopefully so. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. Let's bring in now the Trevor McDonald of the boxing world, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Right, um, James DeGill will have a rematch with Caleb Turax on April the 7th. Yes, um, Caleb Turax, you know, we knew that the, the, the fight he was going to probably have next was going to be against James DeGill, despite all the... Uh, the rematch clause, rumours, whether there was one or not. A lot of credit's also got to be given to James DeGale for wanting this rematch as well, because it was a very bad fight for him. He looked absolutely awful. And some of the, you know, the the uh, the ringside media, and I'm, ta- I'm not going to name drop, but I'm talking about some of the guys that have been in this for years and years, been in boxing for years, way before I was born. And they were saying there won't be a rematch clause, and they were also saying that, James DeGaulle probably won't fancy having a rematch. That's all I will say. And he's not only having a rematch, but he's doing it on American soil. You know what I mean? So you've got to give him a lot of credit. Um, To be completely honest, maybe there was no grounds for having it in the UK because I don't know if any promoter wanted to put the money up for the event to happen in the UK because he looked so bad last time out. So that may be a factor. But he's showing the balls to actually go and have the fight because it was a very tough night for him. But, um, yeah, credit to Trax as well. He's a man that actually listens to our podcast here and there. So, um, you know, he's he's a good guy. Perhaps we'll get him on um, just before that fight happens. But, yeah, I'm glad they're getting it on. And um, hopefully we'll also be speaking to James DeGaulle at some point. I've reached out to his people. So, yeah, two guys that I really like and... Uh, you know, the first match was so one-sided, in my opinion, and hopefully Chunky, just for the British point of view, can pull it off in America once again, like he has done a couple times over there. Like we said in part one, Vasil Lomachenko will fight Jorge Linares on May the 12th at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, we mentioned it in part one. Um, the fight itself, though, oh, um, I mean, Lomachenko... He's obviously a phenomenal fighter. He's moving up in weight. But Linares is a funny guy because some people said that he was pretty much finished a few years ago now. You know, when he when he took on Kevin Mitchell, that kind of time before that, he was apparently finished. So um, he's, he's kind of rejuvenated a little bit here. And obviously he's going to be the bigger guy by quite a way, naturally. Um... So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. He, he's very good, Linares. He really is. He's, he's brilliant. He's a world-class fighter. But I, I just can't see a way past Lomachenko. The only thing that will beat Lomachenko is size. And I know that Linares has got that. But I don't know if, if, if lightweight... It's only five pounds. And five pounds is a great deal, by the way. I'm not an idiot. But five pounds, I'm not quite sure that's going to affect, you know... Lomachenko so bad where he's not going to be as effective as what he is at some of the lower weights. I think maybe moving up to 140 for Lomachenko, that one might be a bit different. You know what I mean? Imagine Lomachenko standing next to Lipinets. You know what I mean? That <laughs> He'd look like a father and son in there. You know, he'd be so big. 
But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a good fight, Ayaz, but I think I'd definitely give the edge to Lomachenko. I agree with you here. I, I'll give the edge to Lomachenko. I think Lomachenko, for me, is pound for pound number one. And I think, obviously, Linares, don't get me wrong, is a brilliant, brilliant fighter. But I just think Lomachenko's skill and style will just beat uh, Linares. But would he make Linares say no more on his stall? Would he do that? Do you believe he can he can get him to quit? He's he's made three fighters or four fighters in a row quit now, hasn't he? So can he do that to Linares, or would Linares survive the distance, or would he get stopped? I think Linares would survive the distance. Yeah, I'd like him to because I, I quite like Linares. You know, he's, he seems like a nice guy. But yeah, is that it for the news, Ayers? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, moving over now to the preview. And again, there's not too much to go over, but there's a few weird ones, to be honest. We're going to start over in the Melbourne Pavilion in Flemington, Victoria, Australia. One fight to mention on this bill, by the way. Um, well, I will give a little honourable mention, actually, to Joel Brunker, 32-2, and two, former opponent of Lee Selby. His opponent yet to be announced, but that's a six-rounder there. But the fight I want to mention on this bill, two former opponents of Sergei Kovalev. Blake Caparello, the home fighter 26 and 2 with one draw he got stopped by Kovalev in the second round when he fought him but he did actually have Kovalev down in the first round he takes on the really tough and horrible nightmare of a boxer Isaac Chalemba 24 and 5 really good fight that one by the way um, Chalemba's also got two draws this one's for the WBA Oceana light heavyweight title and also the vacant WBC international light heavyweight title as well that's a 12-rounder there, so all the very best to both men. Moving over now to Estonia. Another weird fight to mention over here. Robert Hellanius, 25-2, and two, takes on a guy called Yuri Bikatsu, who is 10-14 with three draws. Moving over now to the York Hall card, Bethnal Green, London. This is a Haymaker Ringstar show. I will be there in attendance. couple of fights to mention on this bill. Um, there's a couple of real barn burners, what should be barn burners anyway on this bill here. Um, I'm going to mention here here Joe Joyce 2-0 in his third pro outing against Donny Palmer 9-1 with one draw if I'm not mistaken I believe that Donny Palmer's something like 6 foot 10 so it's real clash of the giants there I know that Donny Palmer's very very uh, confident he's been sending out you know, attacking tweets to Joe Joyce and stuff like that. He said he's going to come over here and, um, you know, beat up all of the overrated British fighters. So all the very best. Well, no, not to him. All the very best to Joe Joyce. It's a 10-rounder there. Hopefully Joe gets another good win just before he fights on the Hey Bell You undercard. Hopefully he comes through unscathed. Uh, also on this bill, Linus Udofia, 7-0. and I think that's how his name said. He seems to be quite a bright prospect. A lot of people talking good about him. He takes on a guy called Geraint Goodridge what a name he's two and three with one draw that's a six rounder there um, a couple of prospects on the bill as well I'm just going to quickly give him a mention um, we've got Mark Little we've got Adi Burden we've got Yusuf Kamari we have Ricky Heavens we have Keon Thomas and we also have Tunji Ogania. And um, the the two sort of really good fights on this bill. We've got Wadi Camacho, 19-7. and seven. He puts his Southern Area Cruiserweight title on the line against Danny Cousins, 10-10 ten ten with two draws. I'm expecting Camacho to do a job there. And also, Matty Askin, 22-3 with one draw, puts his British Cruiserweight title on the line against the man that... Uh, that beat Wadi Camacho before 
and and he's also a Scotsman, Stephen Simmons, a man I quite like to be honest. Eighteen and two, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fight. That um, I'm expecting that to be a bit of a barn burner, to be honest. I know that Stephen Simmons really comes to fight every time. He's got a huge heart and he can really have a war as well. He's been in the in the trenches before and he's come through. Um, also, moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York, New York, USA. A few fights to mention on this one. Michael Conlon, 5-0. and oh, His opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight-rounder there. The return of Jose Pedraza, former world champion. I believe it's his first fight with top rank. 22-1, and one. he's in a 10-rounder his opponent yet to be announced also the return of Felix Verdejo he's been out the ring for a long, long time he takes on Antonio Lozada Jr. who's 38-2 and two. Uh, also, Christopher Diaz, 22-0, and 0, takes on Braulio Rodriguez, 19-2. and 2. That's a 10-rounder there. Um, wow, what a brilliant fight this one is. Alexander Govodzdik, 14-0, puts his interim WBC World Light Heavyweight title on the line against Mehdi Amar, 34-5 with two draws. And the main event here... Jose Carlos Ramirez, 21-0. and 0. He fights for the vacant WBC, the full title, at 140. So it seems quite bizarre. I did say this to Regis Progre when we had him on the show a few weeks ago. Um, he was actually fighting for the interim title while the full title was vacant. And the full title was going to be contested for after he become the interim champion. So he's already the interim champion, but the actual full title's vacant. It's kind of mad. But anyway, in the other corner, Amir Imam, 21-1. and one. I know that the winner of this fight certainly... Progray has his eyes on. That's a 12-rounder, of course. But like I say, Jose Carlos Ramirez, he's the guy that did a real job on Mike Reed, like I say. And Mike Reed bravely took on another undefeated fighter on the past weekend. So Jose Ramirez looked really, really good um, when he when he dispatched of him, to be honest. He got rid of him as early as the second round, and I was really impressed with him. But yeah, he takes on Amir Imam. Imam's been stopped the once. It was against Adrian Granados, who people will know gave Adrian Broner a great fight, uh, that was back in 2015, and he hasn't really boxed any great names since then, it's kind of bizarre that he's right in position to fight for the title, Amir Imam, since losing to Granados by an 8th round knockout, um, in a fight that he was losing as well, he has fought three people, two of them had had losing records, and his only win was against a guy called Johnny Garcia, who was 19-5, and with one draw, so, um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how he's managed to get right up there in the rankings, but I believe Jose Carlos Ramirez will do a job on him. He's also got 16 knockouts from his 21 wins, so I believe possibly another stoppage there for him. But that's a great fight. That one is going to be on ESPN in the US, and also Box Nation have done a deal at the last minute. Once again, they come through. It's going to be on Box Nation, I believe, 2 a.m. start on Saturday night. Um, and now the final fight to mention is actually happening next Tuesday. This will be Tuesday the 20th of March. By the time the show comes out next week, the fight would have already happened. It's another bizarre fight for Prince Patel. He takes on a guy called Leonard Raphael, who's 2-12. and 12, And Prince Patel, 9-0 and 0 with one draw. It's a four-rounder. It's actually happening at the vocational school, Jezenski. In Storovo, Slovakia. What is Prince Patel doing over there? Nobody knows. But that's really it for the previewing. We've tried to go through everything as quick as possible this week. We brought you guest number one. We did the reviewing. I has brought you the latest news. We did the previewing. Just before we wrap up part two, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome guest number two.
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the super middleweight ranked at number four in the world with the WBA. It's the gorilla, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me back. Hey, it's always my pleasure, my friend. So the first question, John, it's one that I always ask you, where are you, man? Where are you? I'm, uh, I'm just indoors, just um, picked my little girl up from nursery, took her to the, uh, the post office play centre, and we've just come back now for a dinner. Oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah, because I, uh, I remember when I, when I first asked you, you was in Portugal, and I just kind of got this uh, this uh, this thing in my head, thinking that you're just always in these exotic locations. But I've been wrong every time since. I might stop asking you that one, actually, John, in the future. <laughs> listen, listen. When I when I was in Portugal, it was far from exotic. It was January and it was freezing cold, raining. <laughs> it sounded it, it, anyway. it was better. It was better than London. <laughs> it sounded exotic. That was all I cared about. <laughs> but um, yeah, John. First things first. We last spoke on fight week of your last fight, and I feel like we need to speak about that fight. What a performance! I'm not actually, I'm not actually going to lie to you here when I say that I didn't know too much about Patrick Nielsen going into the fight, apart from the fact he was world ranked at number one with the WBA. And based on that, I wasn't a hundred percent confident that you were going to be able to pull it off, John. But Jesus Christ Almighty, you absolutely smashed him um obviously you know you smashed his gum shield out of his mouth and decked him in the second round you ultimately knocked him out in the fifth round i was so happy when you won that fight that i jumped up from my seat and lost my phone charger somewhere i still haven't found it talk us through that fight please john round by round please <laughs> do you know what it, it was a scanning into it it was a fight that that's an angle, I, I just felt like i knew i was going to win because i've heard stories about his lifestyle outside the ring and i thought do you know what i'm I don't live that life. I live a clean life. I live I live a bit of a sheltered life. I don't get up to much. Whereas him is a, he's a superstar in Denmark, and I thought he's God taking his foot off the gas. He don't fight regular. He's very inactive. So going into the fight, I did think I would stop him, you know, but I did think around like round eight mark. But then when he went down in the second, I thought, God, this is not what I planned. I thought he'd like I thought he'd fade late on, and maybe I'd ultimately catch him. But listen, I went in there just to get a win first and foremost, but. The bonus was would always be a stoppage, but I ultimately got it. But a bit sooner than planned, but it's not the worst thing. No, it's certainly not the worst thing. And the first knockdown came from a brutal short little right hook. And obviously the second knockdown came from, I think you kind of finished him off with like a one-two. But the shot that uh, that really hurt him and probably had him out on his feet really was, again, another right hand. Um, obviously you fight in, in the southpaw stance, the left-handed stance. Are you actually left-handed though, John? Because you can generate yeah, some crazy... Yeah, actually left-handed, oh, yeah. Well. So you can bang with both hands then? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, wow. yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And obviously, moving on to your next fight now, John, it was announced earlier today that you'll be fighting Jamie Cox on the undercard of Hay versus Bellew 2, or Bellew versus Hay 2, maybe I should say. Um, I'd usually ask what you know about your opponent, but I'm pretty sure you know Jamie Cox quite well. Um, you know, you've both boxed on the same bill last time out. You're both southpaws. Cox is a slightly taller man. You've got the way better resume. Have I missed anything there at all? Uh, no, I think... Um... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if he's. I, I was actually wondering if he's taller or not. So I think he's two inches he's taller. taller. Oh, is he? Oh, fair, fair enough. That's all right. I always like to be the smaller man. Yeah. But, um, yeah. No, he's, he's got an impressive resume. He's, um, I mean, I've I've been watching Jamie Cox for years. I've been watching him since he won gold at uh, the um, Commonwealth Games. When was that? Two thousand and six. So he's been around for some time. He he's he done good things in the NHL. He's. Pro career's been a bit slow, but 
for one reason or another, I don't know. But um, yeah, no, it's going to be a good fight. We had, we had mixed fortunes on October 14th, but um, I'm sure he's looking to put that right. And what are your thoughts on this fight? Obviously, you know, Jamie just lost on a huge stage, but no shame losing to George Groves. He's looking for a way back in. Your world ranked with the WBA and the WBC. Everything's going well for you at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's it. He needs a way back, and I'm happy to be that, Jamie. I'm, it's, it's a big fight. That's what I want, big fights. I mean, it's obviously nice to the, the money and the, the titles, but... When you look back on a career, I'd rather have a career where they said, you know what, he, he ducked no one and, and fought everyone. So, so that, that, that's, that's how I want to be remembered. So, dear, these are the big fights I need to do that. And who do you believe has got more to lose in this fight, John? Uh, I think we're equal, really. I think we're, um, the winner goes on to big things. I'd hope if I won, I'd be on, on the verge of a world title shot. And I think the loser really is where do you go from here and are you prepared to step back and start boxing six and eight rounders for, for nothing? So I think it is, is current for the loser. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you that next. You kind of answered it there. And I didn't even realise that you were world ranked with a WBC until about five minutes ago. How long have you been in their rankings, John? Uh, since, since the Nielsen fight, I mean, I, I, went, I went in at 14 the first month and I think it dropped down to 13 but then back up at 14. So yeah, just, just, just in there, just about. And have you had a look at the WBC champion, obviously, David Benavides? Yeah, I've watched, I've watched bits of him. He, he looks very good. I mean, you forget he's only 21, so he's he's still growing, he's still developing, but he, look, he looks like a good all-round fighter. But like I say, I've, I've not ducked no one, and he would definitely be on the radar if, if I come through this, any of the world champions. Yeah, he's been on the show a few times. I think maybe once, about twice, maybe two, three times. He, he seems like a nice guy. I know that I think he said he'd like to to come over to the UK at one point and fight. So, uh, I mean, if he if if that's true and he truly does want that, then you know you're definitely uh, one of the few names in the hat. I'd say um, you know when he when he's looking at pulling out a voluntary. I must also ask you, John, later on in the night, a few hours later, um, over in. Over in America, of course, Canelo versus Golovkin, Cinco de Mayo. I'm sure you're gonna, you know, try and quickly get your fight over with, have a shower, and you know, stick the TV on to watch it. What's your thoughts on that one? Who wins the rematch? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I think I think Golovkin's aging now. I, I love I love both fighters. Um, bit disappointed with the the old um, Clembutal scam. Hopefully, it is dodgy meat. I mean, if you normally over here if you eat dodgy meat, you get the shit. It's not fucking lose weight through Clint Brutal, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I, hope, I hope it is I hope it is all wrong and it is clean. But uh, no, Golovkin is one of my favourite fighters. I love watching him, but I feel like he's, he's ageing and I just feel like Canelo can adjust more and make the changes to, to beat Golovkin in the return. Yeah, I mean, I kind of share the same opinion. I think, I, I mean, I think that Golovkin won the first one, but where it was quite close, I think that he has kind of showed that he's slowing down a little bit, Golovkin. Now, I think that Canelo, being the fresher guy, I think that he's going to probably be a lot better in the rematch. I'd feel, but um, I got this lovely image of like this this cow in 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 heaven, just kind of like ha ha ha, I'm to do with this fight, you know, like where he's going <laughs> yeah. to the cow's probably in heaven, like flipping the middle finger. <laughs> That's it, yeah. I've done and, you all. And obviously the World Boxing Super Series final at super middleweight, we're going to now see uh, St. George Groves and Callum Smith hopefully still kind of unclear of what's going on really with the injury and all that. But 
um, should they they fight each other, who do you have winning that one, John? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to sit on the fence with this because they're both really at different stages of their careers. And I think by now, Callison should really be a world champion. Yeah. So, um, obviously, he had division in this tournament in his sights, but I, I feel like he, there was, I think he was mandatory for the IBF at one point, wasn't he? I feel like, I think that was like a year or so ago. I feel like he, he should WBC, he should be a world champion by now. Sure, it was a WBC. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's one of them. Yeah, I feel like he's one of them that he, he should have, he should have been it. And it's just, he's being denied it, kind of thing. But um, yeah, no, I think, yeah, I mean, it's weird. You have got one man at the end coming to the end of his career, and one man who's who's at right at that stage now. So if um, if things go, if if it goes how it should do, then George Groves would get beaten. Callum Smith would be the world champion and take on the range. You know what I mean, but. Um, I don't know. This is boxing, and it don't go to plan, does it? But so I mean, I like both fighters. I'm a fan of both. So it'd be it'd be awesome to call it. But um, I don't know. You just can't write George Groves off, can you? No, I mean, you know, based on his recent performances, especially in this tournament, everyone's kind of saying that he's going to have easy time with with Callum's, you know, with Callum Smith, just because Callum hasn't looked that impressive. But you know, he always gets the job done, and quite quite easily you'd have to say so uh it is definitely a lot closer than i think people believe it is going in um we haven't spoke actually since uh since J- james de lost his world title to caleb truax i was there for that one I don't, I don't know was you there for that did you come to that uh, i was yeah i was at that one yeah i think i missed you yeah it was mad so um yeah obviously the rematch is now happening do you reckon james de can you know kind of get a grip of his former self because he, he just wasn't him in that ring that night I feel yeah definitely I think um, that that was nowhere near the best of James to go and I don't, I don't know if Salib True could ever pull that performance out of the bag again I mean I, I feel that if, if James to is what James to was then he should spin him on his head on, in the return and, and win his title back like a true champion would Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And the final question for you now, John, um, I just want to really ask you your prediction for your fight, if you have one. I know you're not really a flashy guy, but if, if you do have a prediction, how do you see your arm being raised come Cinco de Mayo? <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, I like it, Cinco de Mayo. Um, I, I don't care. Just as long as at the end of the fight, my arm's raised after 12 hard rounds, then that's all I want. Yeah, the win's the most important yeah. thing. The win is the most important thing, yeah. Well, the winning our health. Yeah, of course, of course. One thing I will say, obviously, last time out, you got a fifth-round knockout. Uh, this fight's happening on the fifth of the fifth. Perhaps repeat performance, maybe another fifth-round knockout, man. You never know, you never know, but um, that's that's the last thing in my mind. I'm just, cool. just thinking about getting the rounds in, getting the artwork done in training and looking forward to fight night. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, listen, John, it's always a pleasure, mate. You know that. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for May 5th, and we'll catch up sometime after, I'm sure. Lovely. Cheers, Joe. Thank you, mate. Okay, now it's time to conclude episode 126 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. This show marks 20 different world champions on our last 18 shows. Thank you all for continuing to support the Box Hard Podcast. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on 23 points, I as on 30 points, and the listeners on 31 points. I'd like to thank our two guests on this week's show, the former three-time British title challenger and now world number four with the WBA, Mr. John Ryder. I'd also like to thank the former... 
prize fighter champion, English champion, British champion, WBO European champion, and the WBO world champion, Mr. Terry Flanagan. It's been a fun show. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.